The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. Happy Valentine's Day to you. We're thrilled that you're spending part of your day with us. Uh, I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. It's also the home for Autism Live. We are going to be with you live for the next two hours talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective which what that means is that no matter who you are in this big, beautiful rainbow of a community, whether you are a parent, a teacher, a practitioner, a person who is on the autism spectrum, who by the way may be all three of those other things as well, uh, we, or if you're an individual who cares about somebody who's on the autism spectrum, that might mean that you're an aunt or an uncle or a friend. Um, we appreciate all of you, welcome you to this community uh, because here we're going to talk about topics that are uh, a wide range of things that are not going to be one size fits all. And we welcome your questions. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but we know that wherever you're walking into this circle, we all have one thing in common that we want for individuals who are on the autism spectrum to get the respect and the dignity and the employment and the opportunities and the, the skills that are important to them to help propel them towards living their best life and fulfilling their dreams. That's what we're all about. And um, what a wonderful mission to be on, right? Whether this is day one and you are someone who just got a diagnosis for yourself or for somebody that you love, we hope that you will join us and participate because this show is meant to be interactive. In fact, that's what makes us the happiest is when we hear from you guys. So I want to tell you about some of the different ways that you can connect with us. And while I'm doing that, Traven's going to show you some sites on the, the beginning crawl here too. So our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, you could be watching the live show, of course. It's a new website now. So when we're live, it says live with a, a big red button. It's kind of orangey red. So I had said it was orange a couple weeks ago. I guess it's a orangey red. Uh, sometimes on some computers we see that that automatically opens when it's live. If it doesn't, click on it and it should open. If it doesn't, let me know because uh, we're still testing her out. Um, and there is now the chat box at the bottom of the page that if you click on where it says chat, it opens up a little box and you can type and hit enter and it sends uh, me a message. I wasn't able to get into that yesterday. I'm going to see in a second if I can get into that. We were having some technical difficulties with that for which I apologize. But we were having, so I was having other technical issues here. I don't know whether internet has been weird. Um, and I don't know whether that's because we just have had so much rain here in Los Angeles that I literally, I'm like, how many cubits does the ark have to be? That's the, 
that's the burning question on my brain right now. Anyway, um, but we, we hope that you will be persistent because there are lots of ways to get in contact with us. Uh, if you, uh, want, if you really are somebody who hates change, and I know I am uh, one of those people, and you really want to be able to look at it, uh, the old way, you can go, Traven's got it on the screen for you right now. You can go to oldautism-live.com and you can look at the old website and chat to us the old way. We are not going to keep that chat open much more though. I will warn you, it's much more efficient to talk to us on Facebook. Um, and I'm going to do a better job today of attending to what you guys say too on Facebook. I feel horrible that somebody wrote in with a question for Dr. Barbera yesterday and I didn't get to see it in time before we were done with the show. So I'm going to see if we can't get Dr. Barbera to answer your question and I apologize for my lack of proficiency. Working on it, working on it, uh, <laughs> trying to be better. In any case, we like to remind you whenever possible and I usually get an opportunity on Thursdays to tell you that we have lots of guests and experts here on the show and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but please do not confuse me as one of the experts. That's, I am not, I'm just not an expert uh, in really anything. Uh, I have an opinion about a lot of things and I have a lot of general knowledge about a lot of things, but not, uh, not an expert in anything. I have been covering autism uh, as a journalist for more than 11 years, so I have picked up, I would say, an informed opinion, <laughs> but not an expert. But here's the thing that I really want you to know, that even though I'm not an expert, what I care about most deeply is that we get you connected with whatever it is that you need. And I don't know what that is, um, I'll be honest with you, and it's not one size fits all, where I could say, well, I, you know, I'll give you this and you'll all be happy. That wouldn't be the case ever, right? I am an autism mom. Uh, my son was diagnosed with autism at two and a half, and I'm very happy to say that that uh, the disabling part of autism is not a part of our lives anymore. That's, I mean, even to say that, you just can't know how huge that is for me to say that because when we started this show, that is not what I would have said, but the disabling aspect of autism is not a part of our lives anymore. Um, my son's brain works differently than mine, and I come to find out my brain works differently than my husband's and everybody else in the room, and so does his, and it's all okay. But there's no part of that that could be, I just don't think you could point to that and say that that's a disorder anymore. Um, but there was a time when he absolutely qualified for that diagnosis. But we got good help. We got good support. It was still hard. Um, and there were days that I didn't think I could get through it. And it means the world to me to be here with you and to say, si se puede. Come on, hold my hand. We get through this together, right? I, I would like to help you. And if you'll tell me what it is that you need, we'll, we'll see who we can put you in contact with that could be able to help you. We'll get somebody on the show to talk about whatever topic you want covered. That's why I'm here. That's my why. I have so much karmic debt to pay down <laughs> that they will be closing the casket and I'll be going, wait a minute, one more second. I got, I've got a few more things I got to say here. Anyway. All right, so on Thursday mornings, we like to take on something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We give you the actual definition, which I promptly make fun of, and I find that deeply, deeply enjoyable. Then we give you the working definition, which is meant to be a watered down, it isn't meant to give the BCBAs hives, but sometimes it does. Um, but it's, it's meant to give you a place where you can begin to understand what this term means, right? Um, because 
we need to understand what these terms mean. They're there for a reason. They save time and energy and money. That's why people use jargon in all fields. And look, are, is there any group of people that need to save time, money, and energy more than the autism community? Uh, yeah, I know. So, but we can't let our, allow ourselves to be over, overwhelmed by the jargon. Uh, we got to take it a little bit at a time. So, today's term, and you'll see what I mean when we go into this, expressive language. Here, Carol Merrill on this side. All right, expressive language. Let's take a look at what our actual definition of expressive language is. Expressive language is the production of language, including speech, signing, and or gestures for communication. Darn it, there's really not much to make fun of there, right? Um, not much at all, because I think most of us understand that um, language uh, is, is a form of communication. But the thing that's interesting in the autism community that you may not be aware of is to take a look at what language includes. It includes speech. It isn't just speech, but it includes signing and gestures, okay? It, what isn't on here is that it also includes facial expressions, right? It's how we communicate. So let's take a look at our working definition. Working definition here is the child's ability to communicate their needs. And that is the child or the individual um, whatever. Now, last week, we, uh, the term was receptive language. Receptive is anything we receive. Think about it that way. Anything we receive. Am I receiving when you make a face that you are unhappy? Am I receiving when you say, stop doing that? I understand what you mean. Am I receiving when you say, uh, stop kicking your leg and put the purple balloon on top of your head? Do I know what that means? That's receiving. Now, expressive is anything that goes that way. How we express our needs and wants and fears and confusions, all of those things. And a lot of times we mistake that uh, language is uh, spoken. And for so many of us that are autism parents, we are focused on that. We want our kids to speak and uh, of course, course that's what it, what we want right mm -hmm. and for us in this century in uh, in the world speech often is the most effective way of communicating it certainly can be efficient and quick right it's faster than typing let's be honest although there are some people who can text faster than I can talk it's a miracle I don't know how they do that but they can um, so keep in mind though that you however you express yourself is uh, language. So when somebody is signing, that is expressing themselves. When someone just gestures and says, you know, when the teacher does that and makes that face, you know, ooh, she's watching me and I'm in trouble, right? She's not happy with what I'm doing. When we smile at someone, we are sending a message to them. Um, and then within expressive language, there are all these little things like when, um, have you ever met somebody who has that Ben Stein sort of flat affect where uh, I had a student who said, I love it. And I never knew whether she was being sarcastic or whether she really truly loved it. And I'm the kind of person that I said to her, are you, are you being sarcastic? What? And she was like, what do you mean? I absolutely love it. And, and I said, is that, you know, and I would say to her friend, does she love it? I'm not sure, right? Um, so when we are expressing ourselves, being able to modulate our tone, right? 
um, being able to put things in a way that people get it, use words. Look, none of us is perfect at expressive language, right? Um, but let's be honest that the better you are at expressive language, the more of your needs you're going to get met. And that's true for all of us. But imagine being a person who's on the autism spectrum who does not have speech yet, maybe ever, who does not have the ability to text, does not have the ability yet to push a button, or does not have icons that they can trade with someone to say, I want a glass of water, right? And does not, under, not only does not understand gestures, but does not have the command of gestures to make themselves heard. What can you imagine that they would do to get their needs met? Well, think about all babies. Babies don't know or understand gestures. Babies don't know or understand language. They don't have sign language often. When they come out of the womb, they certainly don't have that. So how do they communicate their needs? They cry. They cry. They cry and they fuss and we jump and we do whatever, right? But at a certain point, babies, if they are typically developing, see language happening and go, that's quicker. And they go through this phase, and we have a name for it, the terrible twos, where they're trying to convert from I cry to get my needs met to language. But when they first start with language, it's not efficient for them because they don't, water just doesn't pop out of their mouth, right? They have to build up the muscles to say water for us to be able to receive it. Uh, so they throw tantrums. They throw tantrums. And they'll hit a two-year-old will hit because you didn't give them what they wanted when they were trying to tell you. I have a little uh, grandnephew that he furrows up his little eyebrow and then he'll if he doesn't get what he wants. He has a lot of siblings and that is his mode of communication. Now nobody should give him what he wants when he hits because then he learns I hit I get. Now I don't have to cry. I'm just gonna hit you, right? But see how that transaction happens? I want, I do, you give, right? Those are our most basic Maslow, you know, there's a certain amount of things I gotta have. Um, and if we don't have language, we will revert to other things. So it's really important that every single person on the planet be given some form of communication. And, 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 I, and some people, it has to be given to them. We're going to give you a, uh, a PEC system, a picture exchange system, where you have a picture, you give me the picture of the water, and I give you water, right? Or we give an iPad that has some version of it that they click the little box and it says water, and I give you the water, right? Every single person on the planet deserves to be able to communicate. And if you have a, a friend, a relative, a kiddo, that you know that does not have a functional communication system, we gotta fix that today. Today, today. And you know what's great about living in this year of 2019 is that that's possible. That is absolutely possible because even if you don't have a computer, if you have a, a public library near you that you can go to the library and get 15 minutes of internet time, you can go on and download uh, a PEC system and print it out on some paper. Yes, you do have to have paper to print it out on and you can start a PEC system. Uh, but for those of us who have smartphones, you can start on a smartphone or a tablet or an iPad. Um, there, 
you can give some be, the beginnings of functional communication you can give to anybody pretty much on the planet today. Um, I'm thinking about that thing, and is there anybody excluded from that? I don't think so. Um, I know that there are places in the world where you don't have internet, but that you can get to it within a day. And uh, if you're watching this, you can. I know that. So I hope that you will, because it is a basic human need, and you will get challenging behavior until this piece is there. I'm not saying that the rest isn't important, but this piece has to be there almost before anything else can happen, even in the most rudimentary way. So expressive, expressive language is everything, right? Okay, that's our jargon for the day. Moving on, we always have a question of the day for you. Um, and here's, uh, I always find it interesting because I write these things ahead of time and then they're always super, super uh, relevant. Who do you feel isn't listening? Who do you feel isn't listening in your life? Uh, do you feel like there's something that you're saying to somebody that is not being received? And are you saying it in the same way over and over again? Is there a different way that you can say it? Um, I sat with a mom just the other day who said I went to the pediatrician and I told him, I don't think this is right and my child, you know, is doing this and my child is doing that and we're having tantrums that I don't think are in the realm of what I think normal tantrums are. And the doctor didn't listen. The doctor was hearing something else. And uh, like a lot of us, that mom went home and sat on it. I did that. I did that. My pediatrician didn't listen to me. She rolled her eyes at me and said, you know, you're just uh, one of those late in life mothers who's worried about everything. Um, and eventually I had to go to somebody else. And eventually this other mom that I was talking to the other day had to go to somebody else. Or we've heard of people who've gone back to the same pediatrician and said, I need you to listen to me. I might not be using the right words, but I don't feel like you're listening to me. And so I put it to you, who do you feel isn't listening? And have you given up? Because we can't, not when it's something important, don't give up. Put it a different way. Um, put it in a context. Uh, try using different words. I've shared on the show how much it makes me crazy when I go to a store and I say, do you have this or that or whatever? And they will say to me some phrase and I don't understand what it is. And I say, I don't understand what that is. And they use the exact same words. And the woman who said to me, I was looking for an umbrella for a patio and she said, oh, we must have X, blo X blocked that uh, on the third cap. And I said, I... I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> that must be some sort of jargon that you use at your store. What does you X blocked it on the third cap mean? And does that mean that there is a cap somewhere that I need to look for the third one? Or is that a calendar thing? <laughs> and she said, well, we X blocked it on the third cap. Yes, I am very aware of that. What does it mean to X block something? She said, well, we X blocked it. You know, and then I wanna lose my marbles. Um, and I kept trying different ways to say, I don't understand what an X block is. And, and I think finally what I said to her was, uh, you know, you might as well be saying to me, it's on the purple third sub off. I don't, I don't know what that, what is an X block? Um, and eventually she said to me, we don't have them. And I don't know whether she did or she didn't have them, but it got rid of me. Right. Um, but try, try. 
um, when somebody isn't listening. Try to see if you can change it around to get them to listen. Uh, okay, then we always have a topic of the week, and you're going to love this because it goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about, and that is repairing the conversation. Now, this is something that, it, this is a lesson in skills for individuals who are on the autism spectrum, but it's a lesson that is beautiful for all of us. You can go in and you can read it, and it's all about how do you recognize when the conversation isn't working, what do you do about it, what are the steps that you can take to be able to start communication back into happening. And it, it includes things like changing the way that you're asking, that sometimes instead of keep saying it verbally, to write it down uh, in, a, in different words, to draw a map, to try to get somebody to understand. Um, and and a, you know sometimes it's not a map, sometimes it's a diagram. Um, but that there are hundreds of ways to repair the conversation that one of the techniques is to stop and say, what is it you're hearing me say, right? And put it on the other person's foot. But um, this is something that we teach young people who are on the autism spectrum. This is an advanced skill um, that we don't probably, I would guess that this is something that doesn't emerge until around eight. Um, although there are some exceptional kids who can do this earlier. But I, I know a lot of 37-year-olds that need this. I'm a 56-year-old. It, it, it behooves me to look at this lesson from time to time. And we as, as individuals in the autism spectrum, wherever, you know, if you're a parent like me or you're um, a teacher or practitioner, think about the conversations that you have on a daily basis with your teacher or with your practitioner or with your parents or with your teenager and ask yourself, where is the conversation falling apart? And have I stopped to identify that and tried to repair it? When we can repair the conversation, it's so funny what happens because then all of a sudden people go, oh, what you want is this? Oh, we can do that. Oh, that's what you, oh, I love that sound. That means we've picked up the threads again and we, you know, we've plugged everything in and the electricity is flowing and the conversation is happening and things get easier. But a lot of times we just bang the head, right? So repairing the conversation. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. So here are some of the things that we have going on on today's show. I think you're going to find this really interesting. So first of all, uh, we're, we're going to start with a mindfulness moment in a few minutes. But then after that, uh, a little bit further into the hour, we've got special education attorney Bonnie Yates is going to be with us. She joins us from the law firm of Hirji and Chow in Culver City, California. She's going to be answering some questions that you guys sent in. And please feel free to be sending in your questions. I know we're getting, we're at the beginning of IEP season, right? So don't be shy. Send in your questions early. It doesn't cost you a thing and you get an expert to, to weigh in and give you her thoughts, right? Uh, then a little bit later on after Bonnie, we have Dr. Andrea Mills and she is a pediatric and family chiropractor at Restorative Chiropractic. And she's going to be talking with us about how chiro the, the practice of chiropractic uh, works with autism. And this is not a new subject to us. We've covered this before on the show, but not with her. And I'm really interested to hear what she has to say. And, you know, it's one of those things that 
you might be shocked. You might be shocked at some of the things that she has to say. So all of that, and if we have time, um, we're absolutely going to try to get to some of your questions that you guys have written in. And uh, maybe we'll even get to a special autism in the classroom moment. I don't know. I don't want to promise. Uh, but it's a possibility. So that and more coming up. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Welcome back. And I want to say a very happy Valentine's Day to everybody who's watching, but most especially to Samantha, who wrote in and said, Happy Valentine's Day, Galentine's Day. And to Raja, who said, Happy Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day, Galentine's Day, back to you. Um, thrilled to have you watching. Anyway, um, it's time for us to do our Mindful Thursday. And I wanted to take just a minute. I, I had so much opportunity over the last couple of days to meet with parents. And look, we all sort of say the same thing, right? The word, you can sit down with any autism parent and you just got to wait for how many seconds, how many minutes before the word overwhelmed comes up in conversation. I, it's almost like a game show, right? <laughs> like that I want to be like, ding, 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 you know, outburst or what's the, what's the game when you, the, when the magic word is said, everybody gets the points, right? It's not going to take long for that word to come up. And look, we have many things in our arsenal now. And one of the things that I was very happy to talk with parents about is, uh, and we talked about a lot on the show, ACT, 
which is acceptance commitment therapy. And there's a growing uh, bit of literature about this and studies that show that when ABA is done in conjunction with ACT, that it really supercharges the uh, ABA because we can come at it from a better viewpoint. And I wanted to take just a second to talk about what ACT is and does and what my experience of it is. Uh, those of you who watch this show know that I'm a pretty paranoid parent. Um, and, you know, uh, look, I, I don't argue that with people. When people say to me, wow, you're really overprotective, I go, yes, and? Um, because I have reason to be in my life. Uh, the world has shown me that that's a thing to be, so it's sort of my culture. You're not going to talk me out of being a controlling uh, parent, but there are times when it is not to my son's benefit, right? There are times when me being paranoid isn't useful to him, isn't helping him to achieve the things that he wants to do. Like the other day, um, he was going on a field trip with his class on a college tour, and you know that's entirely reasonable for him. He's entirely capable of going on a field trip without any extra support, and that has been the way for a couple of years, right? He does not want his mother on the bus with him. He doesn't need me on the bus with him. Do I want to go on the bus with him? Yes. That is about me. That is about what I want. And I need to be able to look at things and go, is this about me or is this about him? Um, it, it's not a question of, is it rational? Is it appropriate? Because everybody's different, right? What's rational and appropriate for me and my life experience is different than for you. So I'm not arguing, and people want to argue it with me, and I'm like, why? Why do you want to argue it? But let's do something useful. Let's talk about, is it for him? And, it, and if I'm in a place as a mom where I want him to be at his level best and do all the things that he wants to do in his life, then I have to be able to let him. I have to be able to have my feelings of, ooh, I want to go on the bus, but not go on the bus, right? And, and weigh when that is appropriate, too. So uh, I was able to do acceptance commitment therapy to deal with those feelings for me. That's what it helped with me. Now, for you, it might be something else entirely. But uh, I needed to deal with the anxiety of when I couldn't have it my way. <laughs> I'm just being honest here. Um, and that, that, that feeling of wanting to comes up for a reason, but then to be able to rationally look at it and go, but who is this for and who is this about, right? And there are lots of times that it's about us. And I'm not saying that that's bad. And what I love about ACT is it doesn't, it places no judgment on it. Uh, one of the things about ACT that it says, especially when we're having strong emotions about something, it's because we are looking through binoculars and we are looking at something and going, look, I, oh, there's that thing that's most important to me. I can see it right there. And that is what I'm focusing. And ACT says, yes. And we're not going to negate that at all. But is there anything else? If we were to open the lens, can you see anything else? Can we open it more? Can you see anything else? But can we look at all the things? How wide can we get our view? Because I can say, I want to ride the bus with my son, and I'm worried about you know my son on the bus. But are there other things? Like, you know, has my son been on a bus trip successfully before? Yeah, a bunch of times now. 
And, you know, how, how does my son feel when he gets to do something without me? He feels great. And how does his world work when he feels like he's the captain of his ship? And how do I feel when he does well on his own, right? I can just keep opening that lens up and see that, gosh, all of those things are true, including the one where I want to ride the bus. They're all true. And if I embrace them all, then I can begin to see that, okay, oh, right, the bus thing is about me, not about him. So um, that is helpful when we can identify that. And then I can start to use mindfulness to help myself to be calm. If I get a period of time every day where I just get to breathe and either clear my mind, that's hard for me, I just got to be honest with you, but to at least be meditative in a state where I'm saying that right now everything is okay. Uh, it's the thing that Nancy and I were talking about yesterday that right now um, we can get caught up in every moment before this moment. We can get caught up in what might happen or should happen or, or would have happened in the future, right? We can do all of those things. But when we are in this moment right now, usually if we have the time to ask the question, how are things in this moment? It's because nothing horrible is happening in this moment. Yep, maybe something horrible happened five minutes ago. Maybe something, you know, devastating, you know, is, is about to happen, we think, right? Um, but in this moment right here, almost always is okay. And, and honestly, it's like the litmus test for it because if something truly horrible is happening, you don't have time to ask that question. You just don't, right? So having a moment every day to be mindful of the fact that, oh, yes, right now, right here, I am okay. He is okay. We are okay. It is like putting down luggage, right? So let's try to do that right now, right here, you and I. Just feel your feet on the floor. Uh, feel if you're sitting on a chair, what kind of chair are you sitting on? Notice. How does your butt feel in the chair, right? How do your feet feel on the floor? And if you need to move things around, move things around. But get your feet flat on the floor. Get your hands somewhere on a surface. It can be on your thighs or on the table in front of you or on the arms of your chair and feel what it feels like. You know, I'm, my hands are on glass here and it's cooler than everything else. And, and even just acknowledging, oh, that's what's happening right here. Notice where the light is coming from in the room and what the smells are in the room. Just bring yourself into this moment right here. And as you do that, you want to start to notice where is your breath. Because your breath happens in different places in your body depending on where your thinking is, right? That sometimes you're breathing and it's, right? And your shoulders literally, <coughs> and see, when we breathe like that, I have to cough because uh, we're taking in air and when you can hear yourself breathe, it means that your vocal cords are shut. If your vocal cords are open and relaxed and you breathe, it doesn't make a sound. Everybody take a breath and see if you can breathe without making a sound. It's different, right? But if we do that sharp inhalation, right? You're, it's, it not, it's not good for your vocal cords. It literally can cause you to have vocal nodes if you do it over and over and over again, right? So you relax your vocal cords. You 
And that means relaxing your throat, which means relaxing your face. It means relaxing your jaw. And let allow everything to sort of sink into whatever you're sitting in. And, and we say, let the breath drop in. Let's see where it is. Take the breath and see where it is. What, what's moving? Is it moving down here? Is it moving here? Is it moving here? Where's your breath? What we want is for it to get as low as possible. We, and you know, I can feel that where I'm breathing right now today is here and I need to be breathing a little bit. I had a teacher who used to say, breathe from your labanza. <laughs> Joe Balfour, breathe from your labanza. Uh, I don't know what a labanza is, but I know it's lower, right? But we, uh, if you take yoga, uh, there are yoga teachers who will talk about your butt lungs. Try to breathe through your butt. Um, and what a great image that is. If you picture a, a lung in each one of your buttocks and that that is where the air is coming in, that's about as low as it can get, right? Um, there was the inhalation of breath. But so if you can take just a minute and feel the place around you and feel your breath and do a big, deep inhale, And then a slow exhale. And a lot of times what we find is that we've been breathing really shallowly. Like how many times a day do you get a breath all the way in as much as you can hold and hold it for a couple of seconds and all the way out and push it out? It's imagine that, you know, it's this giant bellows uh, like those old-fashioned things that you squeeze almost like an accordion and we want to get it all the way open and we want to get it all the way collapsed and you can literally let your body collapse as you're pushing it out but imagine that there's like you know some old dusty crumbs in the bottom that you want to push all the way out even if you have to cough the last breath out so let's try that so breathe all the way in a little bit more Push it all the way, hold it for a second, and then slowly, try not to have it all out, right? Try to slowly let it all out more, 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 push, <laughs> push it all out, right? Now, big inhale. It's hard for me to do it and talk at the same time. But if you can do that three times a day, let's start with something really, really practical three times a day where you take the big inhale all the way to the point where your ribs hurt because they've had to push out to make room for it and push all the air out so that we get to the bottom of it and then feel what it feels like when you take that inhalation back in. If you have not been breathing in that way very much, and honest, I don't on a, on a daily basis every minute of every day, right? Because life happens and you're doing whatever. But um, being able to breathe that deeply, it, it really sort of refreshes things, right? It's a way to blow the cobwebs out. Your thinking gets a little bit more solidified. You get a little bit more relaxed. It's harder to make you overwhelmed if you will make this a practice. It just is. I call it an insurance policy. You do it when you're not stressed, right? And it helps you to deal with things down the road. Now. One of, the, one of the things that I said a couple of weeks ago when I came back from San Francisco, I attended a workshop where this fabulous gentleman was talking about all the studies, ABA and ACT and all mindfulness and all these different things. 
But one of the things that I took in from what he said was, you really have to get to 20 minutes. You're not enjoying all the benefit that you could, not that it's not useful. If you just do three breaths, it's useful, right? But his supposition is that once you get to 20, it's like a whole other world. And that intrigues me and excites me because I'm not personally at 20 minutes. Even uh, we have a meditation for stressed out parents that's available to you. It is on our iTunes. You just have to hunt for it. Uh, and I'll see if Traven can find it and repost it on our Facebook. But um, there is this meditation and um, I'm just checking the time. Uh, it, it's 11 minutes. And I wanted it to be 11 minutes because I thought, oh, you know, we don't have a lot of time. But I would tell you to start with the three breaths, then see if you can do the 11 minutes, even if you can do it twice a week, the 11 minutes. But I'm going to start pushing all of us, myself included, to get to 20 minutes. It is my hope that by April 1st, we're going to have a 20-minute meditation for you. So, so that we're stretching ourselves because apparently at 20, it gets really good. And then I don't, I don't know what happens. Are we going to want to do 40 minutes? Do we have time for that? Maybe it will make it worth it. Maybe it'll be so incredible when we get to 20 minutes that we'll say, look, we just have to do uh, 40 minutes. I don't know. Uh, but I want to know. He says it's such a difference that I got to know. And I hope you'll go with me. Okay. So um, find the time. And you don't have to just do it with us. Please know that on iTunes and on other websites, there's all kinds of free meditations if it helps you to have somebody talk you through it. I think for those of us that have that monkey mind that goes constantly, and I know when I sit down to meditate, I go, okay, I'm breathing. Oh, I got to remember, you know, and I go, mm, let that go by, let it go by like a car, right? Uh, just let, and then I'm like, but I'm watching the license plate on the car, right? But, and then, and I'll go, no, no, I'm just breathing. And then the other thought, oh, I got to do this, right? For those of us who have that kind of a mind, sometimes it helps to have an external voice who's talking us through it. That's saying, now do this and direct, because then it keeps taking us back to whatever the guidance is. Um, and that's, there's stuff all over the internet that's free and available. And then there's stuff that you can pay for too. Um, but try the free stuff, utilize the, the, the free stuff first. Okay. But if you will do this, I, I know for a fact that the other day my son went on that field trip and there's no way that he could have gone on that field trip. There's no way that I would have gotten through it. I wasn't even in town. I was in Sacramento and he was someplace else and I was very aware of it and talking to people about it and I did not need to be medicated. And I'm just here to tell you that I could not have done that had I not done some ACT training. I just couldn't have. It wasn't, and I was like, and I don't know how that's ever going to happen. Um, but I'm very happy that it did happen and I think it's worthwhile. So I want to encourage all of you. Uh, there are books. There's one called The Reality Slap. Um, that's a great book that's written by a parent, an autism parent, who's also a practitioner. And um, you can uh, get that book and read more about it. Or I'm sure that you can find um, things near you, uh, like I said, on the internet. Uh, I have no idea. I was looking to see. It says we're in a commercial. Um, my my YouTube is my um, Facebook is not giving me your comments at the moment. We'll figure that out during the break. But we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have the fabulous Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, with us with your questions. So stick with us.
Hard times lead to good choices. Many times you're going to find out that change is coming and it's not something that you like to see. Things sometimes just don't work. Sometimes you have to put your child in a new school. Sometimes you have to put them in a different classroom. Often you'll see this with perhaps special education versus regular education or everyone's favorite, puberty. All bets are off then. However, these things happen when they need to happen. So making that hard choice is super, super scary. But when you open those doors to look at things that maybe you've never dreamed you would have to look at, you're going to find help that you never expected. There are a lot of people out there dealing with the same things that you are dealing with, and there is a level of help that you never even knew existed. So don't be afraid when it's time to look at the scary problems that you're having. When those things come up, when the aggression increases, when things are falling apart at home, when you're getting the calls from the schools, don't be afraid. Reach out. Find out what you need to do. You might need to look at new schools, new housing. You might need to access new levels of service. But I am telling you, you're going to see amazing things. There are children that, as they grow, do things with the help of others, very specialized support that you never thought they could do. So once you do that and you meet the child where he or she is and you give them what they need, everybody can do better and you're going to see amazing progress. Lisa Ackerman back with your talk of facts, the autism journey questions and answers that you need to help your child make the progress they need. I'm here to talk to you about one really important item. A lot of people ask me the question, well, Lisa, I want to see this specialist in another state. How do I do that? You know, I don't, I don't own a jet. I don't have the ability to fly um, without great pain and travel. Not a problem. We know how to get this done. So. I actually encourage families, even though in travel can be a tremendous hardship getting a child with autism through security, through the plane, and in the journey to where they need to go, we have a whole white paper on TACA about how to travel with special needs kids. So it can be done. So travel, we know that can be expensive. Not everyone has an unlimited supply of cash for air flights. We love and work with this group called MiracleFlights.org. They're fantastic. They will fly you and your child, so one parent, one adult, anywhere in the United States, one time a year. Also in the TACA document are places to stay. So often you will have people in your life that love and support your family and don't know exactly how to help. Ask them to gift you their travel or their rewards cards or coupons for hotel rental car. That's a great way to be able to get maybe a hotel room that has a refrigerator or a microwave and that's close to a Whole Foods so you don't have that added cost of uh, going out to dinner, especially if your kid has a lot of allergies. It's important to note that there's not a pediatrician or a specialist by every Starbucks uh, in the United States. Close does not always equal best. So I bring up the travel point so you know that travel is possible, number one and often it's really going to help you get down the road faster for your kid and getting the answers you need from the specialist that knows what to do. So don't be afraid to travel. Welcome back. And we got Bonnie with us. You know, Bonnie, we can already see you. Hello. So that's a very cool thing. Yeah. Uh, so welcome back to Autism Live. We're uh, joined right now by Bonnie Yates from the law firm of Hirji and Chow. Bonnie is a special education attorney. She also uh, was an autism mom. Uh, I think what that do you mean was? Well, <laughs> like I don't even know, and I should ask you how you like to word that um, because you have a child who 
is referred to as recovered. Do you still consider your, how do you word that now? Oh my God. Are we having that discussion? No, we don't need to. I didn't mean to put that it's, out there. It's no, it's a really interesting discussion and it is a really contemporary discussion for me in a way because um, of pending grandchildren that I'm not supposed to be talking about. Ah. Um, <laughs> so, well, let's not talk. I don't want to get in hot water with anyone. Uh, yeah, I know. It's so easy to do. <laughs> it is easy to do. Um, but So maybe but, we should table but, that for another time. <laughs> but, but I want people to know that you have experience with this personally. That's what I was getting at. Well, I, I think that's, that's true. Um, I do... I do feel like my life changed forever once I learned in a personal way what the word autism meant. I didn't really know too much about it um, before that. So, um, Were you already see, a we... special education attorney when that no, happened? No, not no. at all. Okay. Not at all. We have to go through most that people aren't. story. Most, most people end up doing it, you know, in response to, to the experience I mean, we could have a whole other program called So You Want to Become a Special Education Attorney. But today, right. I think what we're supposed to be doing is talking about, among other things, you had questions from people yes. about discipline and, and, and individualized transition plans and so on. So, um, Should we jump into that? To, what I'm supposed to be doing is doing the disclaimer, right? Yes. Okay. And so. talking about the fabulous Hirji and Chow. Okay, okay, the fabulous Hirji and Chow. Let's see if we can do that. Let's see if I just lost the disclaimer. No. Okay, Hirji and Chow is um, a six-attorney law firm that I'm lucky enough to belong to. Um, we're in Culver City. You can reach us by phone at 310-391-0330, and our website is lawyer4children.com. Um the disclaimer basically is that we're not giving legal advice, that the answers to the questions on the show are very general in nature and um, not intended to be specific advice for your specific problem. So in almost any circumstance, you're going to need to consult an attorney um, for more specific information. But we're, we're trying to get everybody conversant in well, how the law works and what some of the, the verbiage is since, you know, I think every parent that goes through this is like, what were those people talking about at the IEP? Which would be another really great, like, um, edgy Netflix show. Like, what were those people talking about at the IEP? You know, I mean, we could spend hours and hours, you know, unpacking euphemisms and things, but we're not going to do that today, even though it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> But can I tell you, Bonnie, that I, I live and breathe to have you see my show, The Autism Momologues, because I, there is a comedic IEP in the middle of it. Uh -huh. where, where oh, I love it, love it. Where I play all the different characters at the oh IEP. Oh, my God, so, that's so perfect. That, I, so we'll have I, I to share I want to be on your IEP team, Shannon. There we go. Actually, <laughs> I, I want to I just say for Valentine's Day, for me, it's all about the moms. Like, mm. happy Valentine's Day to all my amazing women friends out there that make the world so lovely for the rest of us so well right it's actually been renamed galentine's day and yes. so we should be giving rather than regretting what we might not be getting ah, on I love galentine's that. day i love yeah. that makes great sense 
Okay, so we've had the disclaimer. We have uh, heard about the fabulous Hirjian Chow, lawyerforchildren.com. Um, love them. Love Bonnie. Uh, I'm going to jump into these questions now that we have had come in. You can feel that IEP season is heating up because of the questions oh, yeah. that we're getting. Oh, yeah. Right? So the first one oh, is, yeah. I'm in Northern California. My son has an IEP, and recently he hit another student who was taunting him. He is now suspended for 10 days. The child who was taunting my son doesn't have an IEP. I know this. Uh, and she says, I know his mother, although we won't be friends after this. Her child has been was given a verbal warning. This doesn't seem right, but I don't know where to start. Well, I didn't come at the question from how to get the other kid disciplined. I came at the can't. question from what is she going to do to make sure her son isn't unfairly disciplined. So there are actually fairly... Um, robust disciplinary protections in the IDEA for children identified as having an idea disability. There are also protections under Section 504, the Rehabilitation Act, but they are not as protective, and I'm not really going to talk about 504 today. I'm just going to talk about manifestation determination, which is um, what you end up with in a situation where... Wait, what were her facts again, Shannon? So uh, her son punched a student after he was taunting him, and now uh -huh. her son has been, he has an IEP. Uh, yeah. She did share that with us, and now he is suspended for 10 days for punching the other kid. Okay, so I kind of jumped the gun a little bit, because the district can suspend for up to 10 days without having to do anything else, and then he can come back to school. The teacher can suspend for two, the principal can suspend for five, and I guess the superintendent can ex can suspend for 10. You're allowed to have up to 20 days of suspension, um, not consecutive if you're an IEP student, 20 days in a school year, um, or no more than 10 consecutive days. So if you stay under the 20 and you don't exceed the 10 for any particular um, suspension, nothing's going to happen in terms of uh, disciplinary um, challenges or anything. But it obviously, if your son is getting in repeated, you know, altercations with people at school, whether it's his fault or not, and it might not be his fault and it might be totally unfair, but I thought it would be better if I told you what to do if you actually ended up in the position where you were confronting an expulsion, how the law works. Yes, that would help. Excuse me. So first of all, you've got to have grounds for the, um, for the suspension. And, you know, they, for the most part, they're kind of what you'd expect. I mean, they're looking at quasi-criminal and criminal behavior, or at least that's how they're going to construe it. So... If you cause or threaten injury to someone, if you use force or violence, except when it's in self-defense, if you possess a knife or other dangerous object, um, if you have um, either possession or use of a con or furnish a controlled substance or alcohol, um, if you um, furnish something to somebody else claiming it's a controlled substance but it's not, um, if you commit the crime of robbery, extortion, vandalism, or theft, um, if you, interesting, here's an interesting one, use 
of tobacco is actually um, can be a basis for getting expelled. Tobacco is is no good, and apparently, what I'm I'm told by some of the students is that you know, in a lot of public school, high school bathrooms, you can get everything. You know, if you if you jewel your tobacco, you can get a jewel. If you want Adderall, you can get Adderall. It's a real problem. Anyway, uh, obscene uh, any obscene act uh, or engaging habitual profanity or vulgarity. That's an interesting one because it has some First Amendment. Um, implications, uh, possession of drug paraphernalia, disrupting or willfully defying school authorities, um, uh, bringing uh, a fake firearm to school, receiving stolen property, intimidating a witness in any kind of uh, educational hearing, bullying, uh, hazing, which is described as rituals that can cause great body, bodily injury or personal degradation or disgrace, and sexual harassment, which has a much longer definition than I'm getting into now. Um, hate crimes and terroristic threats, and uh, so those are those are the bad ones. Now they have to be on school grounds or during a school-sponsored activity, so you may end up in the in the context of an expulsion hearing. Um, you probably say that a the behavior wasn't as characterized, but b it wasn't if it were not on school grounds uh, or at school hours during school hours. You'd have an argument that the school doesn't have jurisdiction. Um, so that's always one way that you you try to challenge it. Now, I mean, there are certain offenses that are zero tolerance, which means the superintendent has to expel on a first offense, and then there are certain ones that he has discretion. But before you expel anybody, you are supposed to show that other means of correction were considered and tried and were not um, useful in correcting the behavior. And you have to show that the student is a continuing danger. So if you can't show those things, it's probably going to be hard to keep the student out of school while the disciplinary proceedings, meaning the expulsion, are pending. So the, the zero tolerance offenses, I think I'm not going to go through them right now, except for just to tell you that they're obviously the more serious crimes. But there is a lot of zero tolerance at school these days, and it's in, in spite of the fact that I'm basically kind of a civil libertarian by nature, I really do understand the tension between trying to manage the threat and the, and the challenge of school violence as opposed to trying to give students their due process rights. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult balance. So anyway, if you suspend somebody after the first 10 days of suspension, you get into um, another period of suspension you have to hold the manifestation determination because if you suspend somebody for, let's say, 12 days, that's considered a change in placement. So that gets you to this meeting at which the, the district is going to look at the question of whether or not uh, the child's behavior is a manifestation of his disability. And if it is, it's going to be very difficult to expel the child because they have the, the person has an IP which entitles them to disciplinary protection. So the way it's supposed to work 
is if you're suspended for more than 10 days consecutively or more than 20 days in a school year, you're supposed to get a pre-suspension conference. And at that conference, you're supposed to get written notice of the offenses for which you're um, proposed to be expelled. Um, and the standard of that meeting that needs to be looked at is was the behavior caused by or had a direct and substantial relationship to the disability? And was the behavior a direct failure of the district to implement the IEP? So if you can show either of those things, and you can usually show number one, um, the student has to be returned to his existing placement without further punishment, and the district has to look at his behavior support plan and make appropriate changes to it. So um, it's, it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be difficult to expel somebody who has an IEP. And none of this really addresses the question of why the listener's son got a seemingly um, more uh, strict correction than the other student. But I have found sometimes in these situations that we don't always have full knowledge of actually what, you know, what punishment the other student received. Um, but it's just a lot easier to punish students that don't have an IEP. And I will tell you, if you end up in an expulsion hearing before a panel in a public school district, the panel is likely to be composed of people like principals from other schools within the district, including like their continuation schools where they sometimes see the most difficult students and things like that. And they are going to be biased in favor of the school district. You are gonna to have to work very hard to present your client as a human being in this context who is worthy of more understanding and leniency. So can I ask a anyway, question, Bonnie? Because I've not yeah. been through this process. So let's say it's Tuesday afternoon and your kid punches uh, the other kid in, in in the face and you get called and uh, you know, I, I is it that they, because my feeling has always been that they expel your student right there and now you're telling me that there's they, some no, sort of a, an IEP. so you're telling me there should be something that happens before that about how yeah. much, but they send him home in the, in, in the interim? They, well, they're allowed to suspend without consequence for up to 10 days. After so suspend is day, different than expel. Right. And during that first 10-day period, they're not required to make sure that the student gets the services listed in his IEP. But after the 10th day, they are. So, you know, you're going to be killing some time at home waiting for all this to play out. And this expulsion thing, this, this committee that you would come through, you'd probably have a few days to get yourself together for that. But at that, you can say, was the thing that happened caused by the disability, um, was this a failure of them to implement the IEP? But we don't have that for the suspension. They can just suspend for no, 10 days? I haven't explained it well. If, you've, if you're suspended in excess of 10 days, you're going to have the manifestation determination meeting at school. Okay, okay I got not, that. It's, 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 you only are in expulsion territory if you don't have an IEP or the manifestation determined meeting results are 
that the behavior was not a direct and, and substantial manifestation of the disability. But my question is, so you've got this 10-day suspension. You can't make any argument about this happened because of the behavior is something that is related to their, their IEP and their disability? That 10 but days, you just have to sit out? You're, you're saying, do you have any ability to bring a complaint for a suspension that yes. does not trigger the requirement of having a manifestation determination, right? Well, I'm just saying, do you have any recourse? When they, when, when they give you a 10-day suspension, do you have not to take much. it? Not much. No, it's only when you get beyond the 10 days that you start having some okay. legal protection. All right. I see. I didn't so, know that. That's horrible. So the reason you didn't know that is because, fortunately, you haven't had to be in the position of right. having um, a child of yours yeah. face disciplinary charges. And what you find out is that it's very, it's quickly on the part of the school district that they start to think about the child as having a criminal propensity. And that's really dangerous for the okay. whole situation. I was thinking the IEP protected us from suspension, but what I'm hearing is it, prote it, it protects us from expulsion. from expulsion. Okay. You got it. Okay. Now, so a disciplinary suspension in excess of 10 days gets IDEA protection because it is viewed as a change of placement at that point without an IEP team meeting. Does that make sense? So if it goes, if this suspension for this mom who's asking the question goes over 10 days, there's a bunch of things she, she can do. But while we're in yes. the 10 days, she's just got to wait it out. That's right. Okay. Exactly. That was not what I thought you were going to say, Bonnie. But that's, that's good okay. to know. That's good to know if, if that happens. In those 10 days, you got to be sitting at home, getting your ducks in order in case it goes a day over 10 days. Well, I don't think it's going to. I think they very deliberately did no more than 10 days because they don't want to deal with a manifestation determination meeting. The problem is whether they legally are required to do something or not, they got to keep an eye on this situation because it, it has the potential to become very problematic for them. So, I mean, just to kind of finish the analysis, um, there are certain situations, like if you carried or brought a, a, a weapon or possessed a weapon at school, used or sold drugs at school, or caused great bodily injury, that they don't even have to go through the disciplinary proceedings they can move you off of the campus and into what's called an interim alternative educational setting, which, believe it or not, speaking of gobbledygook, is abbreviated I-A-E-S. So they can <laughs> remove you somewhere for up to 45 days while the disciplinary charges are pending if you do any of those things. But fortunately, in most cases, that's not going to be the kind of offense that, that our students will exactly. have committed. But be careful about the IAES, because I've had them impose it in situations where it wasn't justified and the parent didn't know any better. Oof, okay. So what are your, what are your um, options if the IEP team determines that the behavior was not a manifestation of his, of his or her disability? Well, the answer is you can file for due process. And because you are being excluded from school, it will take only 20 days from the filing to get you to hearing, which is quite fast. And within seven days, the district will have a resolution session meeting with you 
to try to, you know, work things out. Um, so that that is how that gets handled. I think the other thing I wanted to tell everybody is that there's a great provision in the law for um, if your student doesn't have an IEP, but he kind of should have, he was suspected or should have been known to have a disability, you can have the same disciplinary protections under IDEA as if you had an IEP. So that's pretty great. So then the question is, well, what would trigger that? One, any written concern on the part of the parent that the child should be referred for an assessment and special education services. If the parent requested an evaluation or if a teacher or other school personnel expressed concern. And there's a big um, kind of caveat here, like parents don't don't put it into, I mean, do put it into writing. Don't just make oral um, comments to teachers at school. But what's pretty great is there's a specific provision in California law that says that if you go to district staff and you do tell them that there's a problem, district staff are supposed to help the parents put their concerns in writing. So generally, once you can trigger this uh, suspicion of having a disability, protection, you will be treated as if you have a disability for purposes of doing the manifestation determination, and the district is going to have to evaluate at that point and quickly figure out whether they overlook the fact that the person has a disability. So there's a whole kind of under uh, world of school discipline stuff that happens in public school that most of us are shielded from, but there are a lot of problems including the fact that schools now employ uh, school police who befriend kids and then later they use that or may use that relationship to solicit confessions from kids and things like that. There's a very zero tolerance attitude toward disciplinary infractions. Um, so this is a really important area for parents to understand. And we sent you a very well authored common sense not too long publication from disability rights about how this actually works so that's one so of my you goodies can, you today? can look at it in more you can look at it in more depth is that one of my goodies for today yeah it is okay so we're going to post the goodies yeah. on facebook um, number two is about individualized transition plans yeah which which is a long ish subject just like this one so I think it'd be better if we did that on another day. Okay. But I sent, I believe I sent you. You sent me two goodies. Yeah, I sent people the, the pamphlet on individualized transition plans so they could take a look in advance of our getting to it. But the short answer is I'm very frustrated about individualized transition plans because I don't think that the way they're treated in California is with adequate seriousness. And I think next for next week, I'm going to send you a redacted transition plan so your audience can see what a bad job is being done okay. on these plans and how you could never really plug in a plan like this and actually make it mean something for somebody post-secondarily. It's really a shame. Okay. It's really something we should be ashamed of. Well, and so we I don't do know better. if we have more time for the shorter questions. We're going to do got, transition plans. We still have one chapter to finish up with the um, 
504 plans versus IEPs for students with specific learning disability. We've got a lot of stuff to do. So we, what should we, we do next? Well, we've got three minutes. Should we take on one of the shorter questions? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, my child was diagnosed with ASD six months ago. The school district offered us a pre-K program with speech OT and some ABA, although not one-to-one -one ABA. He has oh, been... I love this question. Yeah. I love this question. Because this is, we hear this all the time, Bonnie. He's been going there since February. Uh, well, that's just, a, that's like two minutes. Now I've started ABA and they want him for 40 hours uh, of one-on-one. -on -one. I told the school we might take him out of pre-K to go do the ABA and they said he would lose his speech in OT and not just for this year, forever. My ABA provider has said that they can't do that. I don't know who to believe. We live in the state of Washington. So, um, but okay. we, we hear this all the time of, of, you know, the school district will offer speech OT and some ABA that they say, but they're very clear. It's not one-on-one -on -one ABA. And then parents are starting ABA and they're like, well, I don't know what to do. Um, but this, the question is specifically about if she takes him out of pre-K, and puts him in a 40-hour ABA program, does the school have the right to take away all of the services and say we're, and, and take them away forever? Well, there's a bunch of interesting stuff in that question. Okay. The first, the first thing is, where did this term group ABA ever come from? Because it's really outside the scope of my practice experience. Yeah. Hello? Schools you know, like, invented that. Just letting that. this one slip into the language without acknowledging how wrong it is yeah no schools okay. invented this as a way of putting a patch on things that parents worry about because parents will come yeah. and go well, he's supposed to have aba and school goes we do aba yay exactly you get a sticker now school right great okay here's here's the thing about this 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 is a really relevant conversation because we now have at least in california i know this is in washington but Let's just assume that the circumstances are similar. Since 2012, we've had a mandate that that kids get ABA through their health insurance. They have um, one in Washington. Presumably full-time until their compulsory school age, which in California is six. I, from time to time, have a family come in with a young child, and they think that they need advice in order to prepare for their IEP their initial IEP meeting. So transition from regional center services to idea services. I will tell them the nicest thing you could do for your family and your child would be to take like a pre-IEP holiday where you don't have an IEP that takes, if you can have one, but it shouldn't take any of your time or energy, you should use insurance, you should do a full-time ABA program, you should make sure that you're working with an agency that delivers quality, and then you should, you know, hit your foot on the accelerator pedal and do this ABA intensively uh, for a couple of years so you can get a really good idea of your child's potential. So I am all for delaying idea services because I don't think they're going to help very much. I mean, we don't trust the district's ABA. We, we routinely hear that speech and language services and OT services are not very good. We know those people have heavy, heavy caseloads that oftentimes exceed state permissible numbers. So, you know, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble by being too anti 
public school special ed here, but I'm, I'm pretty anti, you know, from what I've seen over the last 20 years. And I think a 40-hour-a-week home ABA program is going to do so much more for this kid than a public school special day class that will be three or six hours a day. And, and, and so you, they can consent to the portions of the IEP that they want under California law and receive the OT and speech services if they really feel that that's what they want to do. But my advice would be that they could get better OT and speech services through their insurance. So assuming they're not going to run out during the, the year, I don't know if I'd even involve myself with the school to that extent because it's just going to be a hassle and you're not going to get much for it, frankly, without a fight. So um, that, that last little line about you're going to lose everything forever, like, I don't even know where that came from. I don't even know how to begin to respond to that except for to wonder, is that what these people think? Or are they just being really... Um, Abusive? You know, uh, what was I going to say? Like, chutzpah -y. You know right. what I mean? It's like, uh, really? You're, you're going to tell parents that their, their idea-eligible child with autism will lose their right to services forever? Like, what are you hoping to get for this? It doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah. It, the, there, there's very specific law that defends your child, and, and just to be clear, they can't take away anything forever, um, and especially not when it's a pre-K situation. And we're way past time, Bonnie, now, but, I'm, I, but I loved hearing your advice because who better to give that advice than somebody who has seen it firsthand and has been working with school districts for a long time. So there you heard it from a very wise special education attorney and mama. So I but loved I, it. But what I, what I didn't say is that on Valentine's Day, I'm sort of like previewing some of my husband's crazy art, <laughs> and I did it without explanation. Um because it's a little hard to explain. But anyway... Is that um, your husband's piece there behind you? It's gorgeous. And look at all the stuff. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, and I don't know if you can see above that. He's got some little puppets he built for a, a musical opera saga story about uh, Bodie, an old ghost town in California oh. and whatnot. Anyway, he's totally my Valentine, so I'm being like a millennial and giving him a complete shout out on valentine's day which since he's um not you know gonna be on social or any kind of media he's gonna miss but <laughs> kind of fun to do anyway um so i love um, that though and the, and that's gorgeous that collage behind you the more i look at it the more i love it okay well details at 11. okay Bonnie, right. we adore you. We want to thank the law firm of Here G and Chow. The website is lawyer4, and that's the number four, lawyer4children.com. And um, we appreciate you, Bonnie, and everything you do, and we'll meet back here next week. How's that? Sounds great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Happy, Valentine. Happy Valentine's Day. Right back at you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. All right, we are running a little bit late, but that was uh, lovely to hear her say that. I thoroughly enjoyed that, but we don't want to uh, delay for our next guest. We're so thrilled. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with Dr. Mills, who is a chiropractor um, and deals specifically with pediatric chiropractic, and we're going to talk about how that meshes with autism. Stick with us.
parent to parent, you might be asking yourself sometimes, why does my child have meltdowns? Well, the difference between tantrums and meltdowns, tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but meltdowns are when things get a little bit more out of control, when even the child isn't sure what's entirely wrong. Generally with a meltdown, there's an environmental component. There's something else going on outside the child that's making the tantrum worse. It's really important that we start to be detectives and take notes and look around at the environment and start to figure out what are the things that happen every time your child has a meltdown. And lastly, it's important to get help. You really can't face these kinds of things effectively completely on your own. Tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but don't accept meltdowns as something that just happens. Make sure you get help and support. You might be asking yourself if your child has autism. Hard times lead to good choices. Many times you're going to find out that change is coming and it's not something that you like to see. Things sometimes just don't work. Sometimes you have to put your child in a new school. Sometimes you have to put them in a different classroom. Often you'll see this with perhaps special education versus regular education or everyone's favorite, puberty. All bets are off then. However, these things happen when they need to happen. So making that hard choice is super, super scary. But when you open those doors to look at things that maybe you've never dreamed you would have to look at, you're going to find help that you never expected. There are a lot of people out there dealing with the same things that you are dealing with, and there is a level of help that you never even knew existed. So don't be afraid when it's time to look at the scary problems that you're having. When those things come up, when the aggression increases, when things are falling apart at home, when you're getting the calls from the schools, don't be afraid. Reach out. Find out what you need to do. You might need to look at new schools, new housing. You might need to access new levels of service. But I am telling you, you're going to see amazing things. There are children that, as they grow, do things with the help of others, very specialized support that you never thought they could do. So once you do that and you meet the child where he or she is and you give them what they need, everybody can do better and you're going to see amazing progress. What is autism? 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 Uh, <laughs> I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> um, trying to, uh, just, um... Jeez, let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a big one. Yes. Uh, autism, uh... Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to 
be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. Nobody ever asks a kid with autism, what is it you really like to do? At this school, we ask the kids, what is your goal? What is your dream? Exceptional Minds is a vocational training program for young adults on the autism spectrum who want to have careers in computer animation and visual effects. I think young people with autism are totally underestimated. When you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. They all have different talents, different skills, and what surprised me is that there really are no limits. That if these guys believe that they can do something, they really can. It's estimated that 90 to 95% of young adults with autism are unemployed or underemployed. A lot of young adults still live at home. A lot of them suffer from depression and are very isolated from the rest of the world. And the opportunities for them are very limited. We want to develop careers for our young adults. Our full-time program runs three years, at the end of which we have job placement and job coaching. We have a work readiness program. We also have our own in-house studios so that when our students graduate, they can do on-the-job training and work on real projects. We outsourced about 30, 40 shots to the team here. They did fantastic work that we can put into a movie and be proud of it. It's great. I mean, we want to do it again. The studio is their first step into the professional world, the first step in their new careers as digital artists. The whole purpose is to get the students out into the real world. We all have the same dreams. We want significance, dignity, and purpose with our lives. We have an opportunity to give those three words to every single student at this school who will actually be able to go out and participate in the dream. This is my first full-time, full-paying job. I primarily work in After Effects. I learned After Effects at Exceptional Minds. It seemed like a good place for me to fit in because I was interested in animation. Right from the first day that Nikki set foot in our company, he was producing work for us. We saw what level of professionalism is being instilled in them from the very beginning. This was the first opportunity where Nikki could combine something he loved to do with something he was really, really good at that could eventually lead to employment. When we first met Kevin, he was working at a supermarket bagging groceries and they said he would never amount to anything else. I work at Stargate Studios and uh, I'm a junior compositor. I mainly do like rotoscoping right now and I'm still learning. I think that you find great talent in the most amazing places. 
the students at Exceptional Minds have had a fair amount of training to get them ready for the visual effects environment. If it wasn't for Exceptional Minds, I might still be at the supermarket and I might be living in my parents' house. Everything's changed. Nikki has purpose. It feels like I'm a member of society now. He's capable of making it on his own. Once you get inside and you see what's really happening there, you immediately want to be a part of it. It's the dream factory, you know, the, the movie business. And, and if you can connect people with their dreams, then the magic happens. At Exceptional Minds, we like to say that we are changing lives one frame at a time. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have joining us in the studio right now, Dr. Andrea Mills. She is, now, now I'm going to mess up your title. That's all but right. You're, uh, at heart, you're a chiropractor, but not just any chiropractor. You're a children and family Correct. chiropractor. Yep. Am I, I'm in the neighborhood. Absolutely. Uh, and owner and practitioner at Restore, Restoration Excuse Me, Chiropractic. Yes. Okay. So that's a mouthful uh, <laughs> right there. And maybe we should start with breaking that down. What does it mean to be a pediatric and family chiropractor? Because I think a lot of people might be going, huh, never heard that before. Right, exactly. Well, when the public thinks of chiropractic, if they have a positive impression of it, what do they normally think of it for? Uh, cracking your back. Right, so back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, yes. and headaches, that kind of thing, yeah. right? And um, it's interesting how many people don't even have a positive impression of it there. Yeah. But very few people ever consider it for children. And it's a little bit too bad. When we look at, um, when we look at chiropractic, it was established in 1895. And the reason it came about as a profession is a deaf guy got his hearing back, actually. So, really? Yeah. And so chiropractic from the very early days was really about whole body function through making sure that the nervous system is communicating properly to the body. So making sure that that brain-body connection is working at its optimum because when the brain-body connection is working, we know that the body is really designed to be healthy, right? Like if you cut your finger, you expect it to heal. Right. So if that brain-body connection is working properly, the body can do amazing things. Okay. I just want to say nobody has ever explained it to me that way before. Okay. I was just saying to you that when I was a teenager, my mom would take us to a chiropractor and the first one that she took us to would literally throw me all over the table <laughs> and be making all these noises and things but I would get off the table and feel like angels singing I said Wah! you know because I felt better and not just my back everything felt better I right. felt clearer my brain felt clearer everything felt great so that makes a little bit more sense to me I didn't think about it as being anything other than spine alignment well, and, and it is spine alignment, but why are we doing it? We're doing it because we're affecting that nervous system as a whole. You know, it's funny. People think of the spinal cord like a USB cable that plugs into the brain, mm, right? Yeah. But it's not. It's an extension of the brain. And it is the conduit for every message from your brain to every single tissue cell in your body. So then when you look at the spinal anatomy, there are nerves that synapse with the spinal cord. And if there's a misalignment of that spinal segment, it can actually affect how those messages are going from the spinal cord to the nerve. And then that nerve takes all of those messages to your body parts to keep you alive, right? And so what happens if those messages are cut off? Well, sometimes it's super dramatic, like, oh, I've got sharp shooting pain down my arm, right? right? But sometimes it's not dramatic. Sometimes it's like we turn these lights down 1%. Yes. And we don't know it. Right. And then next week we turn them down another percent. And we don't know it. And then the next week we turn them down another percent. And we don't know it. 
But in 50 weeks, we're like, how the heck did it get so dark in here? Yeah. Right? And so when the body has that kind of dysfunction where it's very slow and insidious, the person doesn't recognize that it's happening. And all of a sudden, they're like, why do I feel so bad? Wow. So what we're looking at when we're looking at children is sometimes because of the birth process, the top two bones of the neck can get misaligned because of the birth process. Think of, you know, a child is coming down the birth canal, mm -hmm. head comes out, what do the doctors do? They turn. Grab it and pull, Yeah. right? C-section, what do the doctors do? Grab and pull. And so it can create a misalignment in the top two bones of the neck, which wow. can then impact spinal messages all the way down. Wow. Right? Okay. I think, though, like if we want to really get someplace here, we have to address the fact that people are afraid sometimes. Of course they are. They're, you know, they're afraid because there's a noise that happens. There can be. And sometimes. Yep. And, you know, and sometimes I, I can remember the first time someone did the thing where my neck cracked and there was sort of a sharp mo movement and I was like, what just happened? Right. I don't normally let people touch me that way. Right. And to take your baby and go, yeah, do that to my baby. <gasps> I can hear people going, I'm not sure. Well, the first thing you need to know is we don't do that to babies. Okay. Okay. The way their anatomy is, you would never want to do that kind of emotion. And honestly, I don't typically adjust that way anyway. There's many techniques for adjusting. Okay. Um, so, you know, people associate that, that rotation move with chiropractic, but that's not the only way to get the job done. Okay. Um, certainly, it's not my favorite way to get the job done. I just don't think it's a specific. And with a child, because their anatomy is not fully ossified, like it's, it's so much cartilage still, they haven't yeah. turned completely into bone, we need very gentle pressure. Okay. So the way, give me your, give me your hand, the okay. way you would adjust a baby is no more than you would test the ripeness okay. of a tomato, right? And I'm very sensory, you guys, and that's, not, that's yeah, nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. That was great. It's very, okay. very gentle. Okay. So we would never do that to a baby. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm like, gee, I want to know what insurance you take. <laughs> right? Doesn't everybody want to go to her right now for yourself and for your kids? Um, and and the truth is, is that when, when I was younger, I don't think, because um, I'm old, uh, I don't think that my mother was having our chiropractic done through insurance. I don't think it was it went through insurance back in those days. Yeah, maybe when, probably when didn't. The, when the horse and buggy days. But um, now a lot of us have insurance that it covers chiropractic. And so people can go. Where would they go to find somebody? You're in our area. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about how people would find you. But where can they? Where should they be looking for somebody like you if they're not in your area? There's a couple of different places. So um, chiropractors who work on children, you want to make sure that they're registered with the ICPA. That's the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association. Who knew that existed? Right? So the website is uh, www.icpa4kids.org. Okay. 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 And so there they can go find a chiropractor who specifically sees children. There's additional trainings that the ICPA puts on so that we're, you know, well-versed in handling kids from birth on up. So that'd be the first place to look. I'm going to have you say that website again slower. Sure. www.icpa, the number four, kids.org. Okay. Okay. ICPA for kids. Org. Org. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there they have a doctor directory. You know, find a doctor. You can plug in your um, zip code and they'll give you doctors who are registered with the ICPA. Okay. And they also have a diplomat program, which I'm in the middle of. Okay. And um, then there are also Webster certified doctors, and Webster is a technique specifically for pregnancy. Oh my. So I'm Webster certified as well. Okay. And that's where the whole pediatric and family comes in. And where do you find when somebody's Webster certified? 
from the from the ICPA website. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so you all can there on that so one you then. what you can do is you can you can um, what's the word I'm looking for? You can filter it based on what kind of a chiropractor okay. you're looking for. All right. Yeah. Fascinating. There's a ton of great articles and research there too. Okay. Um, for parents to look at, covering all sorts of different things, you know, chiropractic and autism, of course, ADHD, bedwetting, asthma, like all of these different okay. things and how that spinal health can affect them. Well, let's talk about that. How can spinal health help all the things that you just listed, ADHD, bedwetting, uh, autism, how, how do those things interconnect? So let's go back to um, how the body communicates, Okay. right? The brain controls everything and how it sends messages is down through the spinal cord. Okay. And then those messages synapse with nerves and those nerves take the messages to the end organ. Um, misalignments of the spine can actually create either pressure on the nerve or nerve interference where the messages are not getting through to the body part properly. So maybe that body part is not functioning 100%. So let's say that nerve is going to the sphincter of the bladder, right? If the sphincter of the bladder is not getting full communication from the brain, maybe it's not going to be as tight as it should be okay. or maybe it doesn't have as much control as it should and so we just the thing is we can identify that there's nerve interference but we can't identify how that nerve interference is affecting the body okay. does that make sense that we understand sense. you know if we look at these different spinal levels we understand where those spinal levels innervate in the body okay. but it's very hard for us to say oh exactly what's going to happen but so are you saying it's precise enough that if somebody comes to you and says, my child is having bedwetting issues, and we're dealing with this in lots of different ways, mm -hmm. we're dealing with this behaviorally, you know, uh, we've, we've had their bladder looked at mm -hmm. through, you know, an ultrasound, whatever, but we're here with you because we want to rule this out, that this isn't a part of it. Right. That you can know where on the back attaches to those, and you would focus your... Uh, energy on, on on adjusting that part of the back. Correct. So there's something called computerized infrared thermography. So I don't know if you've ever it's a whole whole, whole, whole thing, whole right? Rabbit, uh, whole <laughs> folks, it's like back it up. Okay, okay so let's go. What? Let's computerized infrared thermography. So okay. you know those infrared thermometers that chefs use to test the temperature of sure. food. Okay, so it's kind of like that, but a little bit more scientific. Okay. So let's take it way back to Hippocrates. Okay. When when he was trying to find out if somebody was ill, what he, sometimes what he would do is he would put mud on the spine of the person, uh -huh. and one side would dry faster than the other. Interesting. Because it was hotter. Okay. And so you would say, oh, okay, we need to look at what's going on in these areas, okay? okay? So the reason for that is because the way the autonomic nervous system controls the blood vessels to the, uh, the skin around the spine is the exact same mechanism that it controls the blood vessels to the organs and glands at that level. Okay. And so we're really looking at autonomic nervous system function, all right? And so with this computerized infrared thermography, it picks up temperature readings on both sides of the spine, and we know that if it's greater than X, whatever X is, I think it's 0.2 degrees Celsius, but what do we okay. know that if it's greater than X, whatever X is, then there is dysfunction on how the autonomic nervous system is controlling the blood vessels. Well, all right then. So it's very scientific. The thermal scanning, it doesn't hurt. It's just a little roller thing that run, runs up the spine. And we can literally scan these kids and we can see where the heat is. And then if we look at those spinal levels, let's say it's around, you know, T12 or L1. 
we can look at the, that person's symptoms and see if there are symptoms that correspond with those spinal levels. Okay, well, I've been to the chiropractor many <laughs> times in my life, and I don't remember anybody ever taking a temperature of my spine before. Yeah. And, and I'm asking you guys, have you had this happen? Is So is this only certain chiropractors have this kind of technology and others just don't waste time on it? Yeah. Because they can't afford it? I don't, what's the thing It's here? a little bit newer. I mean, it's been around for a while, um, but it is a little bit, a little bit expensive to get. Okay. But I feel like if you're working with children, you need to have something objective to look at yeah. because you can't feel the spine and really determine what's going on with and the child. And often they can't say it hurts here. Exactly. Or this, I, I can't control when I pee. They don't have the language to be able exactly. to say that on the spectrum or not on the spectrum. Right. Especially but the nonverbal kids, yes. right? So um, it just gives us a way to objectively measure. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of chiropractic detractors will say, oh, there's no science, there's no science, which is just absolutely not true. There's a ton of science. Yeah. Um, and so this particular, this particular piece of equipment was developed out of the science showing that the, the thermography, the temperature difference on the spine really does relate to organ function. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's very cool, yeah. uh, but I'm a little, I gotta say I'm a little angry because I have taken my son to the chiropractor mm -hmm. um, and nobody's ever used that on him either. No. So that's making me a little bit. But you know, you also have to look at results. Like if you, if you take someone to a chiropractor and they don't use it, but you're still getting good results, then okay. does it matter? Well, but, but maybe there's stuff we don't still don't know. Perhaps. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But in any case, now we're all going to go to that website and get our people through there. Yes. And then hopefully they will know about some of this technology. Yeah. Or we'll go get some mud. Yes. Like, and put it on your back and see which side grass <laughs> faster. That's right. Yeah. All right. There's a way, when there's a will, there's a way. Right. Okay. So, uh, but then let's talk specifically about autism. Okay. So, um, what in the spine connects to autism? Everything. Everything. Yeah, well, okay. that makes sense, right? So, um, without getting too deep into the neurology, what happens is when you look at the sensory information going into the body, the health of the spine can actually change how that person is perceiving and adapting to their environment. Mm. And it has to do with disafferentiation, which is just a really fancy word for uh, improper sensory input is getting to the brain. Now, the brain does not grow in a vacuum it grows and develops based on its interactions with the outside world. And a lot of times when there's a misalignment in the spine, it will actually throw the person into a fight or flight sympathetic state, mm -hmm. okay? So now imagine your neurology is shoved into this fight or flight state and you're perceiving the world through that lens of fight or flight. How might you behave? Well you might be running away from things right and that running away might be literally your feet going away or right. it might mean kicking somebody or hitting them to or get might, away right to get out. or you might be aggressive or maybe yes. you're biting you're fighting right yes. okay and so what happens is when we do the adjustment it will literally take the person out of that fight or flight response and put them into a more resting healing and restoring and so it just helps balance out that autonomic nervous system into more of a balanced state and so what we see is we see generally within the first, I usually do a re-exam every 12 visits, mm -hmm. but by the end of the second re-exam, we're starting to see changes in their autonomic nervous system. And again, we can measure that. And that's because you're reopening the communication between the spine and the brain by, by removing whatever obstacles have created themselves. Exactly. We're just improving that brain-body connection by removing interference at the spinal level. 
it's just so fascinating and mind-blowing. It really is. It's great. So what kinds of things have you seen in your practice that for to give people some hope of some differences that they, you've seen in kids? Okay. Um, I've seen kids with ADHD. Uh, I literally have this one guy, when he came to me, he was bouncing off the walls. I have a couch in my waiting room, and he was like literally boing, 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 yeah. like around the office. You've got people watching. Yeah, absolutely. And um, he calmed down relatively quickly. I'd say within two months, his mom noticed a huge difference. Um, we typically see in, we typically see improvements in children's ability to focus. Um, I've seen children with chronic ear infections. Ear infections go away. Um, kids who have come in with asthma, their asthma is improved. Wow. Um, obviously, bedwetting you know, is something yeah. that we see. So, you know, really, we're not working specifically on those particular ailments. We're just improving that brain-body connection so that then the body can regulate itself. And you talked a little bit about you know you reevaluate after twelve. Um, Tell us a little bit about, so you come in for the first appointment and you do evaluation to mm -hmm. see what it is that you're going to be working on. And then how long typically are appointments and how many appointments do you usually tell people, look, this is how much time it's going to take. Is it different for every patient? It is different. It really depends on how bad the nervous system dysfunction is. Okay. So if there's um, you know mild to moderate nervous system dysfunction, it might be you know six to 18 visits. I mean, I just don't know. Okay. It's hard to say. If it's more severe... Uh, if it's more severe dysfunction, we're going to be looking at longer care plan. You know, some of these kids, they got that first, that misalignment is called a subluxation. Okay. And they got that first subluxation at birth. So if a kid comes into me and they're eight, and that subluxation's been there for eight years, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to get that structure to recognize the new normal. You know, think of braces on the teeth, right? Yeah. Um, it takes two to three years to get the teeth to change, and then you have to wear a retainer or they go right back. Right. So the... The soft tissues around the spine are similar. Okay, so, and when people are bringing in a child, is it a thing where you come in once a week and it's a half hour appointment, or is it three times a week and it's an hour each time? So, you know, kids, especially kids on the spectrum with neurodevelopmental challenges, they have so many activities between ADA yeah, and OT, like all this yeah. stuff. So I always tell the parents, like, look, we're going to make it work around your life. Twice a week is ideal. Okay. But if they can't do twice, once a week is okay. And what I say to them is it's kind of like going to the gym. If you're going to go to the gym once a week, you can expect slower results than if you go twice a week or three okay. times a week. I typically don't do a three-time-a-week schedule just because my demographic, moms and kids, they're too busy. Okay. Uh, but with, like, maybe a chronic pain practice, they might do something like that. And is it a half an hour? Is it No, the minutes? first visit is between 30 minutes and an hour, depending on what we need to do. And then okay. after that, you're in the office maybe 10 minutes. Fascinating. The it's interesting, thing isn't is, it? It is interesting because I think a lot of people, um, there are already a lot of people who have looked at this and said, this makes sense to me, mm -hmm. and, and they're included in their practice, but I think a lot of people don't. Um, I have taken my son to a chiropractor, but, awesome. it, but it was later uh, when he was done with ABA. Okay. Um, and I have to be honest that that particular chiropractor made it so difficult for us. That's too they bad. They personally made it difficult for us um, through a lot of different things. And I know that insurance has changed, mm -hmm. and um, but it was so difficult that we said, enough, stop. Um, although he, my son loved it, felt better, and I'm just thinking, you know, low self-esteem, bad mom at the moment, because I'm like, I should have kept up, I should have gone on to another chiropractor, I should have. Yeah. I should have, you know, said to the chiropractor, do you understand you're making this difficult? Right. Do you understand that your staff is making it difficult? Yeah. Um, and they did. That's Man, too bad. They just really did. So um, 
I, I love that there's a website that people can go to to look and see that their people are certified. Absolutely. I think that's wonderful. For people who are here in California mm -hmm. and who now are in love with you and want to come to you, do you have room in your practice to take on more people, yes. first of all? And how can they get a hold of you? So my office is in Calabasas. Um, I'm across, well, the, only if you're local will you get this reference, but I'm across and just a little bit north of Sagebrush Cantina. Um, exactly yeah, exactly. So my, I mean, I think you guys have my website and my phone number, and people can reach out to me either way. Traven, do you have the website? Have you been putting that up? He does. It's right there. Awesome. RestorationCairoSFV.com. Correct. Because some people listen to us on iTunes. Okay. So I just want to read that again. Restoration Cairo, C-H-I-R-O-S-F-V, I assume for San, San Fernando Valley. Valley. Right. Dot com. If you want to get a hold of her, because I am not, uh, for some reason, able to get your questions at this time, and I don't know why, uh, but that's what it is. Uh, so... Your practice, then, lots of different types of people coming in, I'm sure with lots of different types of questions. How young is too young? In the womb? Because you do the, the yeah, for the maternity. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, rea the reality is if a pregnant mom delivers her child and she can get to the office on the way home, when the hospital releases her, that'd be ideal. Um, and again, wow. it's just we, we just we just check the child to make sure there is no nervous system interference. If there right. isn't, good, no adjustment, we're done, right? But go. if there is, let's do a very gentle adjustment to make sure that that child goes home with that brain-body connection with full force wow. so they can grow and develop with no interference. Okay. Yeah. And then because you do pediatric and family, how mm -hmm. often do you see that somebody brings a child in and mom or dad also needs yeah. to be adjusted. Right? Actually, especially with the uh, neurodevelopmental moms, talk about being stuck in fight or flight, Oh, right? Yeah. They are so stressed out and they are doing so much work to take care of their children. And, you know, there's never any time for them. I'm one of those moms. Yeah. I mean, I'm not anymore. Things are much better. Because your son is a grown, right? Right. And he's so much better because we were able to get the things we needed earlier. Right. But... I still carry that and can right. very instantly be back if I'm sitting talking with a mom. We, we sometimes talk about it in a PTSD, mm -hmm. and it has been documented in people that, you know, I can go right back there. I, I just spent two days with moms, and I came home, and I felt like I needed to be ironed. Right. Because I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, because I could remember all of that, that stuff. Yeah, so it's real important for the moms as well. Um, to take care of themselves and to get away, you know, to find a way to get them themselves out of fight or flight and into yeah. a more balanced autonomic state. Well, we just did a whole thing about mindfulness earlier today, yeah. and so this also can be a part of it, you guys. Absolutely. Uh, because the mindfulness will work better if everything is open and all the channels are open. Absolutely. And it's not something that we can do on our own, correct? Sadly, no. Right. Right. You know, it's interesting because you can have a misalignment of the spine that does not have nervous system interference. And then, um, so it's, it's really important to look for that component because, you know, you can foam roll or, you know, stretch and feel things move around, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's nervous system interference there. So you really want to have someone who can evaluate that for you to see, you know, is there, is there nervous system dysfunction here? And if so, how do we correct it? And a lot of times parents have fears that um, there have been, in the past, there were ABA providers who said, you need to be doing ABA and nothing else, mm -hmm. right? I think that ship should have sailed by now. And if anybody who's listening, your ABA provider is being that way with you, 
let's sit down and have a conversation about that because that ship should have sailed. Right. That um, there are ABA providers who work in, in conjunction with their families now as they're going through a biomedical intervention at mm -hmm. the same time who will work with other types of therapy. Your, your ABA provider should be welcoming the speech uh, and language pathologist and the OT Absolutely. on your staff. Um, everybody should, you know, we've seen that that collaborative model is what works for families and for individuals. And I just want to throw it out there that I, I think from reading your literature that you look forward to working with all those different things. And when a family is doing biomedical, they, they can be coming to you as well. Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, when we're looking, when we're looking at kids, especially on the spectrum with the neurodevelopmental challenges, there's multiple body systems that are in dysfunction, right? You've got the nervous system is not communicating properly. Often the gut is leaky, mm -hmm. um, and that leaky gut can cause inflammation that can lead to brain inflammation, mm -hmm. right? Um, oftentimes their detoxification system is not working the way it needs to. Sometimes they need extra support. So really the parents need to be working on all of that concurrently, and it's so much work. Yeah, That's the thing, it's so much work. Um, my best friend actually recovered her son. He was diagnosed at 14 months, and by the time he was about four, he was completely recovered. Wow. But it was such a long haul. Yeah. And watching her go through it, you know, the biggest frustration for her was she'd find something that would work and would work for two weeks and then stop working. Mm. And so it's like always two steps forward, one step back, back right. to the drawing board. Um, but there's so many things that need to be worked on in these kids. It's exhausting for the parents, mm -hmm. but that whole body approach can really make huge yeah. changes. And then of course there's dietary changes and yeah. all, I mean, all of that. Well, and I really hope mm -hmm. that in this, uh, in the field of autism, that everyone now should be on the page of looking at all of our individuals on the spectrum as being whole people. Absolutely. Who have all kinds of things and no one is alike. Everybody, it's individual snowflakes yep. um, that need individual things and that each one of those individuals is in a family that needs individual things too. Yeah. So, the, and that we get this model of taking care of the whole person while we embrace the whole family and have right. everything work. And I, I think that this fits in marvelously and it's one to Splendiferously. I'm glad you think Whatever. that because I agree. I, you know, I want ex, uh, splendiferously. I think it's the <laughs> word I was going for, right? Um, but no, this is amazing, and uh, I definitely want your car. Yay! <laughs> That's how I feel. Awesome. Um, but so I want to encourage parents if they want to know more about chiropractic in the field of autism, mm -hmm. is there a place that they could go to learn more? I would say start with that ICPA website. Okay. Because there is re the there is research there. There are links that will take you to different articles. They can start reading about it. Um, and then also, I'm not sure, I haven't done a PubMed search recently, but there might be some stuff on PubMed. Okay. Um, and then I will tell you, the, the, a lot of chiropractors are doing case studies and publishing a lot of those. If anyone wants something specific, they can certainly get a hold of me and I'll try to get it over to okay. them. Okay. And then we're almost out of time, but you and I had talked uh, before we came live on the air about the fact, I just was learning that there are different types of chiropractors right. uh, that I hadn't put two and two together. When, when I was a teenager, I went to one who, as I said, threw me around the table. And then my mother switched chiropractors and I, and I make the little pretzel gesture because I felt like I was right. a pretzel, but I felt whoa afterwards. <laughs> and then she switched and sent me to another chiropractor who had this little metal gun that would, you know, shoot me in the hip and shoot me in the arm and whatever. And I would get off the table and feel bruised and battered and didn't feel the whoa. Right. So I don't think that all chiropractors are created equal. And there are, and I was just thinking that was just his style, that he didn't like to throw people around the table. Right. But it's a, it's a different 
philosophy. Well, it's not, it's not necessarily a different philosophy, but there are a lot of different techniques. For okay. example, there are some chiropractors who only work on the top couple bones of the neck, right? Okay. That would be an upper cervical chiropractor. Okay. Uh, my chiropractor actually happens to be an upper cervical chiropractor, even though I adjust the full spine. And it's okay. just because of my unique... Um, I had a major injury when I was 18, so just my unique health history. So the chiropractor that you go to just works on your Top upper two spine. bones of the neck, right? Okay. But I've, I mean, I've, I've had full spine, full spine chiropractors most of my life. Okay. I think it's not so much, there are different philosophies and it's a little bit too bad. Chiropractors have made it very confusing for the public. Um, if you look at the original philosophy back in 1895, it was let's adjust the spine to allow the nervous system to communicate properly to the body, keep that brain-body connection going well. And unfortunately, so many chiropractors have turned into musculoskeletal specialists mm. that don't, don't focus on that brain-body connection so much anymore. Uh, maybe that's exactly what I see. Uh, and, and honestly, insurance is part of the reason that that happened. Okay. Because what happens is when you bill an insurance company, you have to give them a diagnosis code. And the diagnosis codes that chiropractors were given were sprain and strain of the spine or muscle spasm or... Right. Right? Those kinds of things. So There's nothing on the code that says, whoa! Right, exactly. And so really, that, that shift started at about the 70s and 80s. Um, but prior to that, you, know, you went to the chiropractor because other things weren't working for you. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, uh, this has been so exciting having you on here. Thank you. I really I'm, appreciate I am coming so on. I'm so grateful for the person who referred you. Let's say all the websites again and say that uh, the name of your practice is Restoration Cairo. Restoration Chiropractic in Calabasas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's restorationchirosfv.com to go uh, and get more information. And the, the name of the other website that you gave us with all the information mm -hmm. for certification, if you're not in Southern California. Oh, yeah, this is nationwide. It's yeah. icpa4kids.org. That's the number four. So ICP, it's perfect on the screen. There we go. icpa4kids.org. Okay, and you can find a chiropractor on there. Yep. Call them. It, it, should they, when they call, should they say, are you familiar with working with autism or are there questions they should well, ask? Well, there's almost always a link to the person's website, to the okay. practice website. And so I think you should go there and then call the doctor. You know, I always offer a free consultation. I'm not the right doctor for everybody. Um, some people like me and some people don't. I know it's shocking, right? I, that is shocking to um, me. But I don't not, like them, whoever doesn't right? like you. But not everybody, <laughs> not everybody feels like we're a good fit. And so I think it's really important to call the office you want to go to set up a consultation with the doctor and just make sure it's a good fit. And I, you know, I would add that to that too, before you go have the conversation about what insurance do you take and mm -hmm. how do you do insurance and how do you do billing? Absolutely. Because that's the thing that the, mm -hmm. the doctor that we went to uh, that just drove me absolutely batty. Yeah. I don't, I understand that insurance is weird and different and, and been made weird and different and every year in January they change it. Right. And that is just crazy town. It I, is. I get that. I totally do, but if I'm coming to do a service, I need to know how much is going to be my responsibility. Absolutely. And I feel that that is a reasonable and rational question to ask, how much is this going to cost right. me? And to be told, we don't know, but we'll bill you. Of course we know. I mean, the reality well, is, if you, don't, you wouldn't find out. Right. You wouldn't go on vacation <laughs> without figuring out how much it costs. And like, this is what I said yeah, to them. Yeah. Um, and they were like, they couldn't tell me. And then they huh. said it'll be somewhere in the neighborhood of this and that. And then when I got the bill, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of another neighborhood <laughs> that has gardeners and swimming pools. You thought it was going to be the 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 like the bad part of town neighborhood. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, literally, what they told me was it'll be somewhere between twelve dollars and fifty cents and twenty-seven dollars <throat> and fifty cents for my insurance mm -hmm. uh, copay for the thing. 
and then it was $125 per visit. Big difference. And they waited to bill me after 10 visits. That's a big difference. And when I said I have a problem with you, <clears throat> right. was, well, we're not going to talk to you until you pay the thing in full. Right. I will tell you the problem with children and billing insurance is, again, let's go back to those diagnosis codes. Right. You know, they want to see things like headaches or back pain or some sort of a strain. Most kids don't have that. Yeah. So it's very difficult to bill insurance when you're okay. dealing with kids. So, so ask up front. Ask up front. Most kids are on some sort of a cash plan. Most chiropractors do make it affordable. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is so fabulous to yeah. know. Uh, all right. And I just talked some more, so let's make sure we say the website. One more time, Restoration Cairo, C-H-I-R-O-S-F-B, um, and that is .com. We are totally out of time. We're going to be back next Wednesday. I'm not sure, but I think we have Dr. Doreen Grampiche next Wednesday, plus a full Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I thank all of you for the privilege of being with you. Uh, please know that you do not have to do this alone. We're done for now, uh, so I'm going to say bye-bye for now. Give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. We'll see you next week.